0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Podcast. I'm your host, Hill. Got the whole crew with us. Get and the and woke on this Tuesday afternoon. As we get ready for Week Three and the first week of SEC football for the Georgia Bulldogs, Georgia will be playing South Carolina on Saturday. A lot to get into going into that game, as well as what we saw last week. Uh, I'll start with you, Ben. Uh, The build-up to SEC football is almost here. Uh, How is the week going so far?
1: It's been good. You know, it. I I won't say it feels like it's an SEC game week. I don't know about you, but it just the. The buzz just doesn't feel like it's there for SEC opener, but, you know, come
0: 3.30 in Sanford Stadium, I'm sure that buzz will change a little bit, so. I, I think you're right. Kip, uh, what do you think uh, as the countdown uh, is less than a week away to actually see an SEC versus SEC?
2: Yeah, I think the difference is just because Georgia didn't have that premier opener, and so we're all still kind of wondering what's going on, what's this team all about, but you know the everyone got amped up for Oregon last year and you know it hasn't been able to get amped up yet and you're still not not really sure what to expect from the South Carolina team after you know watch the North Carolina game so you don't really know what kind of matchup this is for Georgia you know are should we be excited you know a conference opener the last year we have divisions possibly I mean it's it's just kind of weird but uh you know, uh, at least you're not a Jets fan waking up today with no more Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, you know, you got to look on the bright side and, and think, uh, you know, everything's right here for Georgia still. And, you know, still a lot to figure out with this team. So that, I think that's kind of where we're just kind of finding our way still, just like uh, it looks like Georgia
0: is as well. Fun problem, and I have no doubt for Georgia. Number one still in the nation, 2-0 after Saturday's win over Ball State, 45-3. to Carson Beck throws for 283 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Got to see Dylan Bell get some carries. I got to see a defense that provided three interceptions in the second quarter alone. Another big win against a uh, inferior opponent. Georgia takes care of business and uh, made all of our jobs a little bit easier in that second half as we kind of wrap that thing up. Uh, let's sort of give some parting thoughts on that game. And I'll start with you, Kip. You, you did the post game podcast, talked about what you had seen. What sort of sticks with you a few days later from how Georgia played in that Ball State game? And if you have any lingering questions as we get ready for SEC play, uh, what sort of stands out?
2: Yeah, obviously, I think we, we've we come to know that Georgia's got a really strong secondary so far and outstanding athleticism at the safety position. I think that, that kind of stood out overall from the game. Uh, I, I think, you know, when you look at the offensive line and the offensive identity, that's still the main question mark, you know, and I know Kirby got asked about it and you know, did his typical contrarian response, you know, talking about how the, the, you know, the outside short passing game is an extension of the run game. But still, uh, you know, Georgia's always been a man ball, you know, between the tackles when we need to, we can we can get the yards. So far, we haven't really seen that from this offensive line. And obviously got some banged up running backs as well. You've got a uh, brand-new left tackle, you know, the who's learning on the fly a little bit uh, as far as just playing college football. Uh, but at the same time, I think, you know, obviously with, like I said before, starting the game, the season with Oregon, you knew what Georgia's identity was immediately. And I just think overall, you don't know that yet. Opponents are playing a big role in that, obviously. But uh, I do think that, that the offensive line is definitely my biggest question mark going into the South Carolina game and whether – you know, they can uh, especially run block uh, at a high level to be able to help their running backs, you know, get past the line of scrimmage before first contact.
0: Ben, how about you? Uh, thoughts coming out of the Ball State win as Georgia moves to 2-0. I mean, I guess my biggest takeaway from the Ball State game, because I don't want to sound like a broken record
1: who just says the talent deficiencies that some of these teams have are going to make it hard to evaluate anything that's going on. Uh, but Makai Muse, you know, for all the talk about him in the offseason, I think we, we witnessed some of it in week one as well. But it was not a – he was not an offseason chatter type of guy. I think that you hear names like that every now and again from spring throughout summer and fall camp where it's like, okay, this name keeps coming up, but there's just no way that that guy's going to actually end up being – the rotation I had my wonders about whether Makai Muse fell into that category and he certainly does not I mean he his punt return was so dynamic that I think people forgot about the 50-yard kick return that he had to start the game and I made the you know, hyperbolic comment at the time, best return man in the country when he had that kick return that went to, you know, almost midfield, not knowing yet that he was going to be returning to punt as well. I think we're going to see a lot of that this year from him. So just in terms of, you know, putting some respect on McKay Mu's name, which I know there has been plenty of this week. I just wanted to make sure to do that, but like Kip, I think that the offensive line will be a big question. I know that Tate Rattledge. and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more, but Tate Rattledge spoke yesterday about not living up to the Georgia standard on the offensive line. So I think that's a, a big thing that I'll be keeping an eye on. And then, um, you know, just in general, this is not a, I'm not going to the junkyard levels of Mike Bobo criticism here, but I think that there has been an intentional vanilla nature to what they've done offensively through the first two weeks. I guess what I'm curious about is that just sort of what Georgia's offense is expected to be this season, or do you think that the creativity and opening things up will take more of an effect now that, we're going to be an SEC play so I guess that's probably my big thing that I'll be looking for early is how different does the offense look week three compared to weeks one and two
0: I wrote a good bit in my rewatch just about sort of what stood out to me I thought the fact that Carson Beck you know really spread the ball around I felt like in game one it was like if he ever sort of got tense or or if there had been a few rough plays hey I'm gonna throw it to Brock Bowers we pretty much didn't hear Brock Bowers at all. I think he had a reception for three yards. I mean, he, he wasn't that much of a factor, and they did a very good job of spreading the ball around. Um, other than that, you know, Dylan Bell, I, I think at first I sort of re, you know, sort of wrote off, okay, they're using him in this Ball State game. But, you know, I, I think I've kind of come around to the idea of maybe seeing him get more carries. I think it all sort of depends on how much Dejon Edwards is good to go and, and how much we see him and Andrew Paul, who – you know, I don't know. I don't think he got a carry. He was on the field, um, but he didn't play very much in that Ball State game. Um, besides that, secondary looks really good, although there's now the question about Javon Bullard, um, how how soon he will be back after suffering an ankle sprain. So all in all, you know, really, other than that Javon Bullard in, uh, injury, um, Georgia, you know, should feel pretty good about getting out of that game, you know, six touchdown win, uh, nothing to sneeze at. And getting ready to go in and, and host the first SEC game of the season and see if they can move to 3-0. and uh, Sort of turning the page and getting ready for that South Carolina game. Uh, ben and I were there on Monday to hear Kirby Smart, to hear some of the players, Tyke Smith, Jamon Dumas-Johnson, Tate Ratledge, uh, sort of get their thoughts on the first few weeks of the season and what they're getting ready to see against South Carolina. And, Ben, I'll start with you. What stood out to you from what you heard from everybody? as uh, we get ready to see the Bulldogs and the Gamecocks face off.
1: Tonka Hemingway. That's what that's what stood out to me. Kirby getting asked about uh, another player and then him name, following up by name-dropping the player three times was one of the more surprising, and I get it. If it had been a question about the Georgia football team, he probably wouldn't have answered it that way because it was a question asked about the fan base and sort of challenging the fan base to show up. Kirby always leaps on any opportunity he can to get that message out to the fan base well in advance. Um, But really, I mean, uh, truth, like if I'm being honest, it's probably not my biggest football takeaway from the press conference, but I did find it hilarious that Kirby said Tonka's name three times after he'd been asked the question about it, almost being like, all right, fan base, you found your villain. Like I normally don't do this. I normally don't throw the bone of any kind of weird bullets in board because you could, I mean, read it a different way too. Like from South Carolina's perspective, I mean, anybody, you know, Tonka's obviously going to probably have a little bit of extra juice knowing that Kirby smart mentioned his name in a press conference and anybody that is, uh, you know, boys with Tonka is probably going to be wanting to defend him as well during that game too. So a rare move by Kirby, I felt like, but I'm sure that Georgia's fan base will answer the call and defend their head coach.
0: Tonka Hemingway, how is that not a name from Friday Night Lights? Like that—that that is out of a script. You cannot convince me otherwise.
1: I think that's what made it so much better. It's like it wasn't just him name dropping a, a guy, but it was name dropping a guy named Tonka Hemingway. Like what—what a, what a perfect name. But her, hearing Kirby and his Bainbridge accent say Tonka three times was just—I I think I actually audibly laughed out loud during that moment
0: that is definitely worth the price of admission no doubt uh, some of the players we got to hear from I thought jamon Dumas Johnson was really good when we got a chance to talk to him he talked about getting smile back and you know not only when you consider it from the depth perspective but also he said you know from playing together last year you know we kind of know what the other guy's gonna do and having that kind of connection between those inside linebackers I think you can sort of lose sight of that you know when you look at that room and you go well they got all these five stars they got all these playmakers yeah but A lot of these guys have not been on the field for in-game reps together, and really, period. I mean, with the way that Smile and Jamon have played the last uh, year and and what was expected going into this year before Smile got banged up. Um, Outside of that, Tate Rowledge very much not thrilled with how the offensive line has played through a couple weeks. I think he said he he thinks there's a whole lot of room for improvement. Really emphasized the importance of physicality and being more physical. And I thought it was pretty telling when I asked him you know, some of these guys are getting ready for their first SEC start. Do you give them any advice? And he was just like, you got to take them all the same. You know, he said that, you know, I prepare for UT Martin and Ball State like I do for this upcoming game and to, to really focus in and take it seriously. And, you know, I think that that was uh, well spoken by Tate, and I think he was being honest with that evaluation. Um, as far as what Kirby had to say, you no, know, I, I asked him about the defensive line because, you know, I haven't seen – you know, ton of wreaking havoc, a ton of those guys really standing out. And I think part of that is because they have rotated quite a few guys in there. Uh, but he said, you know, it's kind of hard to evaluate the defensive line right now because I mean, they're playing smaller offensive linemen. And, you know, I thought watching that replay of the ball state game, you know, I I, I think watching it live, you kind of lose sight of just how much they cut blocked and they were trying to get quick passes out and that sort of hindered the defensive line's ability to get back there. So to me, that, that's an area I've got a big question about with going into the South Carolina game is how that defensive line stands out. Um, from any of that, Kip, any thoughts on what Georgia's getting ready to do this week or uh, some of the talk around the team getting ready for week three?
2: Yeah, I mean, you bring up that defensive line. I think it's just, you know, we couldn't have predicted after two games that the leader in tackles among defensive linemen would be Christian Miller or that Jamal Jarrett would be second or that Jordan Hall would have played the most snaps last week. And if you just continue looking, Gabe Harris uh, was was next. And then uh, Jamal Jarrett. I mean, they both had 19 snaps. So we're talking <laughs> freshmen out there playing for Georgia. And then you, you can keep looking at each level. I mean, CJ Allen led the linebackers in snaps. And so – you know, Jonell Aguero had 28 snaps. A.J. Harris had 22 snaps. So if you're looking at this and, you know, looking at down the road, this is once again Georgia taking advantage of these games to get these young guys some experience so that they don't look like freshmen when they're in the middle of conference play. So uh, I, I think that that's an aspect where if you, you look at, uh, you know, The bright side, I think being able to get these young guys in early before conference play, uh, you know, kind of definitely some upside to that. And just overall, looking back and thinking about last year, uh, the Sanford game, Georgia scored 33 points. Kent State game, Georgia scored 39 points. Um, There wasn't panic then. Because of the Oregon game, they had already seen what they can do against a big opponent, so it was already, you know, Georgia's just playing with its food. You know, it's what Georgia does. So now, when Georgia goes out and scores forty eight and forty five points, uh, you know, people are sitting around wondering, you know, you know, why isn't Georgia performing at the level they should? And I think if you kind of look at last year in those games, potentially. You could be seeing a similar thing where where Kirby has, you know, just different intentions of making sure he gets all of his young guys out there and get some experience early on in the year, and and maybe the you know, let's see how those the snap counts are next week after playing the Gamecocks.
0: Take a quick break. Come back. Talk more in depth about this South Carolina matchup and what we're expecting to see when the Dogs take on the Gamecocks on Saturday afternoon. Welcome back, everybody. Well, let's talk about Georgia, South Carolina, and we're actually going to start with a couple of questions from our board. We uh, reached out to some of the folks on the junkyard, see what questions they had as Georgia gets ready for their first SEC game of the season. We're going to start with Mr. Medium Rare, who asks, outside of the running game, is there any area of concern for you on this team? And he had talked about in his comment, you know, expecting this team to get better over the course of the season and the fact that it is a long season. But, Kip, I'll start with you. Outside of the run game, which we've had plenty of questions about and talked about at length, uh, what kind of concerns you? What do you want to see improve for Georgia as we get ready for week three?
2: I'll be honest. I would like to see Brock Bowers get more than one touch. Um, I, I think if we're – again, I, I talked about the, the D-line stats that, that kind of caught my eye. The fact that Brock Bowers is not in the top three as far as yards from scrim, scrimmage so far for Georgia, um, I'm not going to say it's uh, a reason for concern, but uh, I don't think that should continue now that you're playing SEC football. Uh, I know that you know you're trying to get a lot of different guys in there in the mix, and you already know what you have from him, but you know Carson Beck's still a new starting quarterback. These guys need to be on the same page and and humming. And I I think uh, you know I wouldn't say that he had a bad game last week, but uh, it's probably f- with all the eyes on him now, probably his worst game uh, since he kind of blew up as being the best tight end in college football. So a bounce back game from Brock Bowers. I know they're not running much, if any, twelve personnel anymore. And we kind of talked about that this offseason that you know don't have darnell washington he's not coming back through that door you're gonna have to you know get some perimeter blocking in different ways uh asking arian smith or you know uh cj smith asking these guys to block the same way that you know darnell washington did is, is is asking a lot so you're gonna have to you're going to have to get some different looks out there. You're going to have to lean on guys, whether it's, you know, Rob Thomas or, you know, uh, Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint, your more physical whiteouts out there, you know, the call to action for them to kind of showcase that Georgia can still block on the perimeter. They take a lot of pride in that. And they're going to need to be able to do that. To, like I said, to get that running game going. So I think that's just one aspect that uh, Georgia needs to uh, focus on and get Brock the ball and, and block better on the perimeter.
0: Yeah, it was kind of weird seeing the game Brock had. He had one would-be touchdown that got broken up in the end zone. Another, they were setting up a screen. I think he probably could have walked in if he would have caught the football. So it was very strange to see that. And Kip took one of mine. It was perimeter blocking. There was one point during the Ball State game where, over the course of maybe two or three plays, you had C.J. Smith, uh, C.J. Smith miss a block. And then Arian Smith missed a block and nearly got a block in the back. It was kind of a a weird-looking attempt by Arian. And uh, you had Kirby sort of talking them up on the sideline. And Kirby was asked about that on Monday, and he sort of talked about, you know, we don't have that Darnell Washington that we had last year, and we knew we weren't going to. Um, So it's a matter of sort of shoring it up as far as perimeter blocking and understanding, hey, we need to get the best 11 out there and try to make the most of those 11 uh, and, you know, I, I think that that's something that they've got to improve. And they got a big boost in that Ball State game, getting Marcus rosemary jack St. back, because he's probably your best blocker on the outside. And I think he's come a long way in that he's capable of being a pass catcher as well. Um, the other position I would throw out there is sort of what we talked about a few minutes ago is defensive line. I, I just want to see them, what Kirby has said before, wreaking havoc, you know, causing those havoc plays. Because Georgia's never been – one of those defenses that just racks up sacks. And, and it's not, I don't anticipate it being that way this year, but it's creating havoc and causing mistakes and causing interceptions. And you saw some of that with the pressure that they brought on a few of those plays where they got uh, interceptions against Ball State. But want to see how that defensive line shows up and uh, how they're able to play in that game. Uh, ben, how about you? What, besides the running game, concerns you or, or at least interests you going into this SEC Opener?
1: Yeah, because because concern's probably not the word I would use for this, but with Javon Bullard. I don't, I'm not reporting anything obviously here, but my sense from the way that Kirby answered it yesterday, not knowing what the status was that Javon wasn't going to be practicing yesterday, that he would hopefully know a little bit more by Wednesday or Thursday. I'm not overly optimistic about Javon Bullard's availability this week. And so because of that, what does that mean for the defensive backroom? We've talked a lot about how this is probably as confident as Georgia has been with its defensive back groups coming into a season. But a lot of that had to do with Javon Bullard and him, being in that second safety position so obviously David Daniel came in got a lot of run after Javon went down Dan Jackson has obviously worked his way back into the rotation I think there have been some questions about you know, Tykee Smith, could he play that safety spot? But with the way that he's playing at star right now, I think you'd be hard pressed to move him away from that though. There are obviously the questions about is Janelle Aguero, maybe one of those next guys up in that. And does he play better at safety or does he play better at star? And does that dictate how you create your best 11 on the defensive side when you think about that secondary? So I'm interested to see how all of that shakes out. Obviously Javon could, you know, render all of that uh, moot if he just, plays and is available on Saturday but that's not the sense that I get right now and because of that I'm interested to see how the secondary shakes out really the first time that Georgia will be facing an offense that theoretically should be able to challenge them a little bit down the field too so not the most ideal timing but also you know a good opportunity for some other guys to get some chances too.
0: I tried to ask Taki Smith about you know what the secondary would have to do if Javon can't go and he Like a veteran, very swiftly avoided answering that part of my question, which I totally understand. Yeah, I I think it's fair to probably say Javon is questionable, uh, if not doubtful. I mean, it sounds like it is going to be quite a task for him to get back from that ankle sprain. So that will be something to watch. Um, Let's sort of turn our attention specifically to South Carolina. South Carolina comes in. One and one, they beat Furman in week two, 47 to 21. They lost their opener, 31 to 17, against North Carolina. Very highly anticipated season opener in Charlotte. Uh, I'll, I'll start with you, Kip, just sort of looking at South Carolina. Uh, what stands out to you about this Cox team and, and the ways they may try to test Georgia when we get to Saturday?
2: Yeah, that offensive line is as bad as I thought it would be. Uh, North Carolina game really – showcase that it it was I mean I thought Desmond Ritter had a tough time out there in his debut for the Falcons but but Spencer was out there running for his life you know immediately after getting the ball he got sacked nine times but uh I gotta give him credit (laughs) I mean you complete 30 of 39 passes for 353 yards and you don't throw one you not just one turnover but one turnover prone throw I was really impressed. I mean, that takes a lot of poise. Uh, I mean, that's an aspect that we're kind of still waiting to see, you know, if if Carson Beck has that that ability to step up and, and not be afraid, but also make a good decision, make accurate throws. And Spencer showed that. So, uh, th- I mean, that right there is going to immediately uh, put a little bit more pressure on uh, Georgia's secondary. Now, again, we're, we're talking about different teams, different talent levels here with even with North Carolina and Georgia. So uh, you know, there's a little bit of uh, chicken in the egg there if it was just, you know, how bad North, uh, South Carolina's offensive line was, but also with, you know, maybe uh, North Carolina's defense not being a, up to par, but, you know, just still really impressed. And I think Xavier Leggett is a guy that in a fifth year uh, player with 6'3 pushing 230 pounds. Uh, he showed he's a big time playmaker, and I, I think he's a guy that is really going to test Georgia's secondary. You know, Kamari Lasser, whether it's him, whether you know, whoever's out there on the other side, uh, if it's uh, Dale Everett or you know, Nylon Green or Julian Humphrey, whoever. Uh, he's a guy you're going to have to know where he is on the field. And then on the other side of the ball, I think uh, Kawan Banks at cornerback, he looks like a ball hawk. I think he's a, he's going to be one of the the better defensive backs in the SEC this year early on. I think that's a guy you, you kind of have to keep an eye on uh, if you're Car- Carson Beck and make sure that, uh you know, you give your wideouts a chance to make plays in the ball and not him because I think he's going to be a guy that's going to come out and play aggressive. And uh, again, you don't. This is not a game where you want to have turnovers early on. You, you want to make sure that Carson Beck's confidence remains at a high level. Put him in situations to succeed and keep that confidence going uh, at least into the half. So he's a guy that I'm kind of, you know, that that matchup, whoever he's lined up at, I want to see how many throws are you know headed his way.
0: Mentioning turnovers early, that was part of the problem for South Carolina in this game last year, one of the early series. Uh, Spencer Rattler throws a pick to Malachi Starks, and it sort of got the thing rolling in Georgia's direction on its way to that big win. Uh, Mission Spencer Rattler had a strong game despite getting beat up in that North Carolina game. Followed it last week 25 of 27 for 345 yards and three touchdowns. Look, I get it was Furman, but that's pretty impressive to only throw two incompletions. Um, ben, what is your take on what the South Carolina team looks like and in, in areas of interest going into this matchup?
1: Well, I think, and this is a recipe for most teams that George is going to play this season, but I think that if you're going to be outmatched in terms of talent, you've got to control the clock, you have to avoid turnovers, and you have to make some plays in the special teams game. And I think that in terms of South Carolina, they have the opportunity to do some of those things. I mean, as long as Spencer Rattler avoids turning the ball over, to your point, Jordan, that was really where things unraveled for them last season. When he started to get careless with the football, you all have already listed out the stat lines that he's had to start the season. He's been unbelievably protective of the football for as many times as he's thrown it. And so if he can do that, they can play a little bit into the new clock rules, which Kirby smart talked about at the end of the game last week as having more of an impact than they anticipated coming into the season. If you can control the clock. And then again, maybe win some special teams moments Kirby mentioned yesterday, they have their own statistical composite for all the various special teams units. And last season, South Carolina was number one in that special teams composite. And so I think that's the formula for most teams to find success against Georgia. You're not just going to line up and beat Georgia, you know, head to head, you're going to have to do some things and, you know, creative things and be careful with the football. And so I think that's really the recipe for South Carolina, whether or not, Spencer Rattler can be careful with the football is probably my number one question when it comes into this game, because this is a Georgia team that had three interceptions last week, obviously had a pick six the week before that you ask Kirby smart. He might consider some of those fluky, but this is a team that is hawking to the football and it's a lot of different guys doing it. And so I think really it comes down to what this secondary is really able to put forth against Spencer Rattler that it'll be the difference between whether this is a close game, whether it gets a little bit uncomfortable at times, or whether Georgia just does to South Carolina what it does to most teams that they outmatch, whether or not it's an SEC opponent or a MAC opponent or an FCS opponent. I think scoreboard-wise, you'll tend to see a lot of you know similarities between what Georgia does to teams that just don't have enough talent to stack up.
0: We will do a quick Junkyard Dogcast version of Jeopardy. This is for either one of y'all. What is the significance of the number nine? from the season opener between South Carolina and North Carolina. Whoever, whoever feels confident can just answer the question. The, the number nine from the South Carolina-North Carolina game.
2: Mm. So, the North number got sacked
0: possessions? That? Say it again, Kip. I believe you had it.
2: The number of times that uh, Spencer Rattler got sacked?
0: Nine oh, yeah. times in that game. And that is the biggest reason why. And we'll go into depth about this. And I'll talk a little bit about this in a few minutes. that I don't see this being close. South Carolina's offensive line is hurt in a bad way. They knew that they were walking into a tough situation, even going into the offseason, based on what they had lost last season. Then they had someone get hurt in the spring game, and I believe someone might have gotten hurt in that opener against North Carolina. So the fact they got sacked nine times, it sort of goes back uh, to uh, what we were talking about, about Georgia's defensive line, trying to learn more about them and see how they show up Uh, in what is truly their first test of the season Uh, ben i hate to put you on the spot but i know with this being a home weekend uh, people are going to be interested in who's coming into town Um, what can you tell us about the guys that we're expecting to see in Athens and uh, what we can be on the lookout for?
1: No, this is great because Kip and I actually were just doing an exercise of ranking like the level of importance of some of these things that are are of what's happening and what should be considered most important. So, I mean, first and foremost, and we wrote about it last week or hinted at it last week and then had it in a notebook earlier this week as well. K.J. Bolden, Florida State commit from Buford, five-star safety. He'll be or he's expected to be in Athens this weekend for the game. That's going to be the one that's going to generate the most interest I'm sure and the most buzz will Georgia be able to flip him I don't think that one game visit for South Carolina is going to dictate that decision, but it obviously is an indicator that Georgia continues to recruit him and he is still at least entertaining things in Athens, Aiden Breeland is the five star defensive lineman from modern day in California. His high school teammate, Nate Frazier, Georgia running back commit, will be on his official visit this weekend. We've wondered for a while, would Aiden Breland end up tagging along on that visit? It seems that that is going to be the case. He'll be on an unofficial because he already took an official visit earlier in the year. But Aiden Breland, I mean, him and L.J. McCray are the two biggest defensive line targets left in this 2024 class, and so getting Aiden Breeland back on campus for what could likely be his last recruiting visit before he ends up making a decision. He doesn't have anything formally said at this time, but it's very possible that this trip to Athens is his last one. So K.J. Bolden and Aiden Breeland, I mean, those are the two big uncommitted visits that I would say obviously there will be a focus on 2025 with guys like Elijah Griffin the number one player in the country and then the regular cast of Georgia commits who have you know been at every home game so far to start the season like Dylan Riola, Sokovi White Malachi Tolliver you know the locals that are, are you know regulars around Athens, they, they will be back in town. Kip, I'm sure there's probably some committed guys that I'm not thinking of that aren't as local that maybe are more likely to come on visits, but I'd say those guys that I just named are really the, the ones that we're looking at so far.
2: Yeah, I think the the duo from Texas, I think just Justin Williams, Joseph Jonah uh, Johnny uh, Chauncey, Chauncey Bowens uh, is probably going to be in town. Uh, Marquez Easley. Yeah, uh, I think you know. Easley
1: and maybe Nitro Tuggle as well, potentially.
2: Yeah, so some guys are making the trek. Uh, obviously, again, anytime you can get a 330 or, again, I, I talked about it, the, the big news yesterday with, with Georgia getting a, a night game uh, against UAB. I mean, that's huge because, uh, you know, you're you're in some of these recruitments, the, the few recruitments that, you know, you're still trying to fight for, like LJ McRae that's an opportunity to get him in town on an unofficial visit. When you're you're watching him, you know, visit Florida this week, visit Florida State for an official visit next month, uh, you're running out of chances to to get a guy like that in town before he could potentially make, uh, you know, his decision. So non-noon games, helping Georgia in recruiting, even though the opponents might not be huge marquee uh, names, not top 10 matchups, it, the, the kickoff time, uh, sometimes the kids don't matter who the opponent is, you know, but a noon kickoff, whether it's their parents or their coach, they don't want to get up at 6, 5 a.m. Uh, before then, sometimes to, to get in that car and, and drive to Athens. So I think I think that's big for, for Georgia just being able to, you know, to get some of these out of state guys in town because other teams are still recruiting those commitments. And, and so you want to show them that atmosphere and remind them of, of why they committed to Georgia in the first place.
0: We will be all over who is in town and have more about that going through the week and then on game day on Saturday. get ready to wrap this episode up, I do want to tell everybody who is watching to keep an eye out on Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Helmut Granahan from the Big Spur is going to join me, and we're going to talk more in depth about this Gamecocks team and what we expect to see on Saturday. Uh, should be a fun time with Hell, no doubt. We're going to wrap up this episode there. Appreciate Kip and Ben for popping on. Appreciate everyone who watched this live, everyone who is listening to this after the fact. Be sure to go subscribe to dogs247.com if you haven't already. Uh, get all the intel that we've got on the site as we get ready for Georgia's SEC opener. Be sure also to go to dogs247 on YouTube. Got all of these podcast episodes. We've got the interviews with Kirby Smart and the players throughout the season and in post game as well. So we are out of here on that. For Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolk, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody.